Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. So last week's episode I spoke about binging and more specifically I discussed some common misconceptions people have around binge eating, uh, drivers, common drivers uh, behind binging and overall just talked about the topic as a whole. So one thing that I didn't really get to was how to deal with the aftermath of a binge. How to resist engaging in compensatory behaviors, you know, such as purging, laxative abuse, restriction, whether that is being like, oh, I'm going to be good tomorrow or just engaging flat out in starvation, right? Or engaging in compensatory, you know, exercise to so-called make up for the calories. Just all sorts of very sneaky behaviors that people will often engage in post-binge that actually makes the binging worse. So in this episode, I'll hopefully offer some helpful tips and reframes that may help you push through without engaging in disordered behaviors in a post-binge situation. Also, for a bit more about this whole thing of is extreme hunger binging, what is binging, what is the difference between them, I would recommend you maybe listen to the the part one of this part two, of this two part um, episodes beforehand where I explain a bit about, you know, why I tend to just call everything binging and that that is nothing bad. Like binging is inherently just neutral, right? And because it is neutral, I don't necessarily think it needs a euphemism. When I say binging, I refer to eating a lot of food in a short period of time, often followed with a lot of uncomfortable feelings, so guilt and shame, anxiety, etc, etc. And per definition, a lot of people with extreme hunger experience that, right? And also, I would argue that most binging is actually tied into being reactive. So reactive hunger is probably, I would say, the most common driver for binging. So essentially this just has to do with the basic human biology and psychology in terms of what food deprivation does to people. It tends to induce binging, right? But I will talk more about this specific topic actually in a soon-to-come episode where I'll discuss binge eating disorder, is binge eating disorder restrictive eating disorder, etc, etc. Coming soon. I actually got so many like topics noted down, so many things I want to talk about, which is kind of strange because I've had this podcast now for over a year, year and a half, approaching two years maybe, I don't know, it's been a long time with Recovery Talk, a lot of episodes, yet I always feel like there is another topic to talk about, huh? Also, just before we start, quick note about the From Quallside to Full Recovery Group Coaching Program, I did a bonus episode, which you can find in my episodes, where I talk about the group coaching program for those who are more interested, and for those of you who aren't aware yet, I run a group coaching program called From Quallside to Full Recovery that starts on May the 1st, so pretty soon. Spaces are still available, but they are filling up, so if you are interested, I would recommend booking sooner than later. For more information, you can check out the bonus episode and also head to my website letsrecovery.co.uk for more information or to book your spots or you can send me an email at contact at letsrecovery.co.uk and I've also enabled paypal payments on my website because there was some issues about issues with paypal not working uh, so that should be sorted now but anyways let's get back into the episode topic so I want to start with something that It's not going to be a big surprise if you've been listening to this podcast for some time, but I'm still going to say it just because I think it's so important and can't be said enough. 
If your binging started during or after a period of restriction, then chances are your binging is reactive hunger, which is a type of binging that happens in response to restriction. And if this is the case, restrictive behaviors is not going to solve anything. Restrictive behaviors is worsening the problem. And equally, what we call a problem here, the binging, right, is actually not necessarily a problem when we look at it a bit more bit more objectively, right? The binging is actually just a completely normal response to starvation that essentially is a survival mechanism. So it may feel like a problem, it might feel annoying and frustrating, but actually it's just your body trying to do what it's programmed to do, right? You cannot solve reactive hunger or binging that has to do, that is rooted in restriction with more restrictive behaviors. This will only keep the cycle going. And very soon you will end up in a binge restrict or binge compensate cycle, which is exhausting. And the only way to really break that cycle is you need to get rid of the restrictive compensatory behaviors, right? You can't just willpower your way out of binging if the binging is rooted in restriction. And even if your binging is not rooted in restriction, you've never restricted, you are just binging and you have no idea what why restriction is still has a tendency to make it worse so again restriction wouldn't really work anyways i have discussed a bit more about that in a previous episode titled breaking the binge restrict cycle i also have done an episode just on extreme hunger overall so this these are topics that i talk about quite frequently um so yeah i just wanted to start with that because i feel like that is very very important for me to say because I honestly feel quite frustrated with a lot of the advices around binging. A lot of it is about, oh yeah, just take a deep breath or go for a walk or do some meditation. Again, it is trying to prevent the binges instead of preventing the compensatory behaviors, right? But the binging, again, is more a symptom of those restrictive behaviors in most cases. And I also wanna make you aware that when I say restrictive compensatory behaviors, a lot of times people think about, oh yeah, that must has to mean something very drastic. It must mean that I'm either making myself throw up or popping a bunch of laxatives or it means that I'm just not eating for the next day. And yeah, it can indeed mean that, but it also can show up in more discreet ways. For example, being more active the day after a binge, you know, and being like, oh yeah, you know what, I just feel like so energetic, you know, I just have, you know, more energy in me. <laughs> so and again, it can very often be rationalized and camouflage. Don't get me wrong, yeah, you might feel like you're feeling more energetic the day after you actually had some proper food and which you probably needed. But then again, be mindful of how quickly this can creep into eating disorder territory. Or it can be something like not having breakfast the next day. And this may feel like intuitive eating. You may not feel actually hungry for breakfast. Maybe you just felt, still feel really full if you had a binge the night before, right? But equally, this signalizes to your body that time, there's a lot of time between meals, food is a scarce resource. When you have it available, you need to eat as much as you can, as quick as you can, right? So think about the signals that you are sending to your body and brain here. And also this does not just refer to simply calories in, right? It also refers to what kind of foods are you restricting or banning yourself from, right? Because chances are this is the food that you're gonna feel urges to overeat on. And also when I say overeat, I don't, I, I don't really love the word overeat because it implies that you're going over something. But again, I'm just using the term in a way that it commonly is used. Because you're not necessarily going over something, right? 
right? Again, you're correcting a deficit. Your body is trying to keep you alive. Um, part of why I'm starting off the episode with these things is because I often find that hearing this can be so, so helpful for people with urges to purge or compensate in one way or another. Just being reminded that the binging is not necessarily the problem and that actually what keeps the cycle alive is those restricted compensatory behaviors and that by engaging in those behaviors, you're essentially just signing up for a binge restrict, binge compensate cycle. We tend to look for solutions where we want to find them. Of course, someone with an eating disorder wants the food to be the problem, the binging to be the problem. The fact that cookies are somehow magically addictive and hijacks your brain like cocaine, they don't. They seriously don't. But again, common common belief, right? And it can feel very much like you are a drug addict searching for, for drugs when you are in that binge state, right? I completely get it. But just because your eating disorder is gravitate so towards a specific solution doesn't mean that that is the right solution. If anything, be mindful of the solution that your eating disorder gravitate towards because that's very often the exact solution that you shouldn't go towards. Of course, your eating disorder wants you to so-called beat binging by, you know, taking the cookies out of the house, just having a bunch of, I don't know, chicken and broccoli and rice in the house instead, you know? Or just thinking that you are fundamentally flawed, you're addicted, you're emotionally eating, you're broken, you're trying to fill a void, all of these things, all of these like psychoanalytical explanations as to why you are binging without correcting the fact that maybe you are actually quite hungry and need food. Maybe you're creating a lost supper mentality around certain foods or just food in general. So again, spot those restrictive patterns in yourself, whether they are very subtle or whether they are screaming in your face such as for example purging that's a very obvious one easy to identify which we'll talk about in a sec but sometimes people miss out on the more sneaky things such as oh yeah I'll, I'll just eat healthy tomorrow right so let's start a bit with purging I often find that with purging a lot of the strategy that's being used is scaring people right and you know what I, I, don't, I don't really like that strategy. I don't necessarily think that scaring people to death is going to make them stop engaging in a behavior, you know, it doesn't really tend to work that well. You know, if someone is, you know, for example, addicted to a drug, I think a lot of times they also, they know the risks, right? Yeah, there might be some rationalization and denial, but overall, I think people who purge, they do know that it is harmful. Then again, some people actually do may find it helpful to, you know, just be reminded about the brutal reality of purging. Uh, the fact that it is very, very dangerous for your body. That is, for some people, they find it helpful to be reminded of that because I think a lot of times the eating disorder will tend to rationalize and brush it off, right? So I think that this whole thing of like scaring something, someone into not purging, it's not necessarily the most helpful strategy, but sometimes a bit of a reality check that yes, this is very dangerous is, you know, warranted, right? Because by not telling people, they may then start to just rationalize it and think, well, nobody's telling me this is dangerous anyway, so might as well just keep going, right? So be mindful of which box or category you fall into. Then again, there are some people eating disorders where hearing about how dangerous purging is doesn't necessarily scare them that much because they're in such self-destruct mode anyways. And they're like, well, screw it. I'm ruining my body and my life anyways, right? I saw some like guideline. It's like a guideline for eating disorder professionals, I think, where they advised professionals to tell people with eating disorders to you know, or your, your teeth are going to look bad. You're not going to have like a nice, pretty smile. It's going to have adverse consequences on your looks and you'll look a lot better if you don't purge. <laughs> I think that this like 
emphasis of looks from a treatment professional is not really helpful. Just because it reinforces the idea that looks really matter and is an important value to hold. Instead, I think it could be more helpful to reframe it a bit. Wouldn't it be nice to, you know, have functional teeth, right? Not have that permanent damage, not have those dentist bills, right? I wasn't even purging for that long, objectively. And I still now, 10 years later, have a lot of permanent damage on my teeth. I already had quite fragile teeth and gums, but still a lot of the damage would not have been this bad if it wasn't for my eating disorder. But I knew all this during my eating disorder. And yes, knowing it, it did motivate me. You know, if purging had no consequences, then, you know, it might have been a bit more tempting of an option. But equally, there are some people who engage in purging without the consequences being so apparent, right? There are people who think that their purging is harmless because their teeth are fine, right? Or because they can't notice any immediate symptoms, but it still is very, very dangerous. You cannot get around that. But please don't think just because you don't have messed up teeth and it's bleeding from your stomach, you're just the purging is fine, right? It still is extremely harmful mentally and physically also. This is the thing with an eating disorder. A lot of times the damage is very, it's more like subtle. You don't always know until suddenly it just hits you and something really drastic happens, right? A good example here is low bone density, right? You don't necessarily feel it or think that much about it. And boom, suddenly you break your leg from something that for most people would mean just a mild discomfort, but your leg is actually broken from that, right? Very often someone with an eating disorder, their their um, blood samples can be completely fine. Like even when I was at my worst with purging, I had, yeah, my potassium was a bit low, but it was nothing like extremely alarming, but I was still in really poor shape physically. Very, very common that blood samples are fine when someone is either they engaging in purging or restrictive behaviors. Blood samples aren't always off. Sometimes they are, and that's why it's also good to, you know, take them make sure that they are up and up and going but still just because you appear fine or feel fine doesn't necessarily mean you are when it comes to purging again it's very important to remind yourself again that the binging is not necessarily the problem it may actually be part of the solution and another thing that can be very helpful is to have some kind of thing that you can do that distracts you from the purging. Ideally, this would be something that is not physical, but something that keeps your mind occupied and keep you physically away from, for example, the toilet. For example, FaceTime a friend, right? You probably wouldn't want to purge in front of a friend on FaceTime. Or it could be something like doing some, opening up a coloring book and doing some coloring, doing some art, doing some painting, even like a rage painting, getting your feelings out, taking the dog out, but please don't take the dog out in a power walk manner. I mean, more like sitting on the porch whilst playing with the dog and not moving. Be very, very mindful of, you know, not engaging in excessive activity post binge, because this can so often just become a bit of a binge move cycle where you feel like you have to move after a binge to compensate. Again, this is not what we're looking for. I also think a very helpful strategy is, you know, accepting your emotions without overly identifying with them. And this is, this can be a tricky one. This is very often something people learn in therapy or coaching, you know, how to approach your emotions from almost like a third person's perspective, where you are acknowledging that, yeah, I feel uncomfortable right now, but it's just a feeling. It will pass. It is not permanent. 
this feeling, it feels really bad, but it's not going to kill me. Essentially building your resilience towards discomfort and seeing your feelings as a bit like seeing like the weather, right? You, you, again, the weather is just, it comes and goes. Sometimes it will be nice and sunny. Sometimes it'll be rainy, but that is, that's just how the weather is, right? And in the same way with you, your life is going to have difficult moments, moments where you want to self-destruct, but learning to increase your tolerance window and learning to sit with uncomfortable emotions without engaging in behaviors that may create short-term relief, but long-term suffering. So it's about delaying the reward, essentially, because yes, when you're engaging in the purging, you may instantly feel a bit relieved, right? Even though it also is really uncomfortable to purge, right? But long-term, you're making it worse, right? It's a little bit like if you're practicing for an exam, you know that practicing for the exam is kind of boring. You'd rather do something else, but you're doing it so that you do well on your tests, right? So again, you're delaying the reward because you know there are going to be consequences if you don't practice for your exam at all. You're not going to pass the test. So you have to just put in the boredom and sit in that boredom and get that re revision of the, of the material done so that you can pass your test. And recovery is a little bit similar in some ways. You know that, yeah, you're going to have to sit in the discomfort, the urges right now. But by doing so, they're going to be a future version of yourself that's going to harvest the benefits. So delayed gratification and, you know, being able to resist the urge to engage in instant relief and extending how much you can tolerate physical discomfort. And then also seeing, is there anything I can do right now that will distract me from the purging without it being a eating disorder behavior, right? Some also might find it helpful to write down a few mantras, a few reminders, even maybe even writing like a letter to themselves, like a post-binge letter, right? With just reminding themselves as to why purging is such a bad idea, why you shouldn't go for it, reminding themselves and affirming themselves like, this is a normal part of recovery, this just happens, you know, engaging in restrictive compensatory behaviors will, will only worsen it, nothing bad will happen, all of those worst case scenarios you have in your head about what is going to happen if you just sit there push through the discomfort without engaging in eating disorder behaviors, all, all of those worst case scenarios, it's not going to come true. Part of why you know they're not going to come true is because they are the eating disorder narratives, right? And your eating disorder has a track record of lying, lying, and more lying. Your eating disorder is always going to be very negatively biased. It's going to see the worst case outcomes all the time. But if your eating disorder was a person, you wouldn't trust them, right? Because it's just lies, lies upon lies. You've been following your eating disorder's orders so long. How is that? Where is that taking you? Has that taken you where I want to be? If restriction, purging, excessive exercise, if these things were the solution, wouldn't the problem be solved by now? If the problem was a lack of self-control or I just need to find the right foods to cut out, why wouldn't, again, problem would be solved, right? So maybe it's time to try another option because you know the expression you know that insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and expecting different results that's the bit explains a lot the binge compensatory behavior cycle where people think that this time will be different if i just get all the foods out of my house if i just stay consistent if i just control myself no no, no it won't happen again but if you're dealing with hunger that's actually rooted in restriction more restriction restrictive behaviors will not help and even if you are one of the few people who may be binging with no restrictive elements, never restricted, never had any elements of that, no restriction in response, restriction is still not going to make it better, 
right? It's still not going to make it better. We know that just by the actual impact restriction has on your psychology and your biology. What is very important the day after a binge or even just uh, the day on a binge, if, for example, if you binge in the morning, right? Is that you keep on track in terms of getting your meals in, right? This is so, so important, even if you don't necessarily feel like it. Because very often what happens is that people end up in a cycle where they binge and then they, yeah, they might actually feel quite like put off by food, quite full, don't necessarily feel like eating. Then they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to eat then, right? And they think they're doing intuitive eating, but actually doing intuitive restriction. You actually kind of need to force feed yourself a bit just to signalize to your body that food is an available resource and it is available throughout the day. Equally, keep an eye on the type of foods that you are binging on. Not to eliminate them, Huh? Maybe that was what you're expecting there. <laughs> Hopefully not. But I feel like for a lot of a lot of times that is the, the advice, right? Keep an eye on the foods that you're binging on and take them away, right? I'm not going to tell you that because it doesn't work, right? It just doesn't really work. It might feel like it works for a little while, you know, if you don't have cookies in the house, you can't binge on the cookies. But overall, it doesn't solve the issue. So I would actually tell you to do the exact opposite, right? The foods that you feel like you can't control yourself around, right? It's not the foods you binge on. So keep an eye on the foods you binge on. Are these foods that you happen to restrict or ban yourself from throughout the day, throughout your everyday life, right? For example, if you catch yourself just always binging on bread and pasta, maybe that's a sign that you are not really getting your carbohydrates in. You need to get those in. Or if you find that you are binging on sugary foods, sweets, doesn't mean that sugar is addictive or as cocaine in the brain and all of those fear-mongering bullshit myths, right? What it means is just chances are that it's not a food that you allow yourself to have, right? And therefore it becomes put on a pedestal in your head. So when you're when it is available around you, it becomes so exciting. Of course you want it, right? It's like a little child. Take away their take away a random toy and put it high up on the shelf and say you can't play with that. They're gonna obsess over that toy, right? It's just basic psychology. Not to mention biology. If you are someone who's undernourished, then yeah, food is, you're going to be extremely driven towards eating, right? Not always all the time. It's very common, for example, someone may have a period of, you know, restrictive anorexia where they are, you know, just overall just engaging in restrictive behaviors. And then suddenly the reactive hunger comes, right? Could be in the eating disorder or in the recovery. That is, again, it's very, very common to fluctuate a bit between behaviors. But overall, this hunger, this binging, very often tends to be reactive. So you need to ask yourself, did it start during or after a period of restriction? And expand your meaning of restriction a bit. Restriction doesn't always mean just starving yourself, right? It can also mean just the euphemisms of, oh, I'm just, you know, making a healthier lifestyle choice, right? Well, does that mean banning yourself from certain things? All foods fit in recovery and beyond. Restrictive and compensatory behaviors only prolongs the process, keeps you in a cycle that is not essentially a way to live. Very often when it comes to the binging part, the binging time of recovery, you kind of just have to go through it, right? Can't really go around it, kind of just have to go through it, accept that it will happen, but make sure that you are not engaging in any restriction between. Okay guys, now I'm gonna answer a listener question. This is a very interesting question. So the person is asking about intergenerational trauma. So this person is saying that they have anorexia and also their mom and their grandma have an eating disorder and that this part of their family is Jewish and had to hide and, you know, be starved during World War II where there was 
quite prolonged starvation and food scarcity. The person is then asking, could this be the reason why we all have an eating disorder? And like I said, intergenerational trauma. This is a very, very interesting topic. Unfortunately, it's not a topic that I know that much about, but there has been a lot of work done on intergenerational trauma and how the trauma of your ancestors can affect you, right? Also, this could also be related to, you know, there being a genetic predisposition from your mom's side of the family. And that this trauma of this food, this food being, you know, a scarce resource could have set off that response in people genetically predisposed to it. We know that eating disorders sometimes run in families and we also know that they can be activated by different things. It could be intentional restrictions, such as, for example, going on a diet, or it could be unintentional restrictions, such as, you know, war or different traumas where, you know, food is not readily available. The important point that I want to make here is that just because an eating disorder run in your family and there are actually quite bad, you know, intergenerational trauma doesn't mean that you are doomed. It doesn't mean that now recovery is not possible for you, right? And I'm saying this because I know that the unicorn syndrome tends to be strong, tends to find all sorts of narratives as to why recovery is just not possible for you. But it still is. Even if you have this genetic predisposition, even if you have generational trauma, recovery is still possible. So in short, I guess I cannot completely answer your question or say, yeah, this is, this is why it is, right? Or give you some absolute answers because we don't quite know. These are still things within psychology that we are figuring out and learning about. But we do know that intergenerational trauma is a thing. We do also know that eating disorders have seem to have a genetic predisposition and that tends to run in families. So yeah, it could indeed offer some explanation. Okay, guys, that was it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode on binging and coping with urges to engage in compensatory behaviors. And I will definitely talk more about binging, reactive hunger, extreme hunger in the future in this podcast because it is, like you probably know by now, one of my favorite topics when it comes to eating disorder recovery and something that so many people experience vast majority of people experience it. Yes, it is just far less often spoken about. I think because it is, there's a lot of shame and taboo around it, which is just silly because it's the most natural thing ever. There's no need to feel ashamed. You are normal. Have an amazing day and week ahead, guys, and I'll see you guys next week.